this morning with that song is certainly appropriate with uh, the message this morning, but it's appropriate at any time to think about the greatness of our God. And uh, With that being said, I invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of Psalms. We're looking at Psalm chapter 8 this morning. Our sermon, our sermon title is, How Great Thou Art. Uh, it's been mentioned several times in our service already that today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and that... Uh, idea of sanctity of human life has been in the news prominently over the past several months and perhaps uh, you have heard of the entity known as Planned Parenthood. It is the largest abortion provider in the United States receiving millions upon millions of dollars of our tax monies uh, to support uh, that, uh, that act of abortion. And perhaps you, like me, watched in disgust as the undercover videos were surfaced, uh, revealing that Planned Parenthood not only made millions of dollars by performing abortions, but also by selling off the baby parts of those abortions that were made. Here recently, our Senate approved a bill, passed a bill that would seek to defund Planned Parenthood, that we would no longer as taxpayers support such an entity. And I was very disappointed to hear, but not surprised, that our president uh, vetoed that bill. Uh, continuing his uh, public support of Planned Parenthood. Now, I'll try not to get too political from the pulpit. After all, our main citizenship is in heaven, not here in the United States, but we are citizens here, and I think that uh, we need to get to the point that we get past uh, political affiliations and things as such and, and hold up a biblical view of mankind. As the Bible says, we are made in the image of God, and therefore we need to act as believers in such a way that we support agencies like, uh, like New Beginnings here in our community and support politicians that do make a stand uh, supporting uh, the sanctity of human life. We need to have a, a biblical description of mankind from God's point of view. And that is what is part of the theme of our sermon this morning as we look at Psalm 8 and think about the greatness of God and how as great as our God is, He still focuses on mankind. He still focuses on humanity. As small and as frail as we are, God cares for us. And so when you contemplate God's greatness, be in awe of His redeeming love for you. When you think about how great is our God, amongst that backdrop, be in awe that this great God cares for you. I want to encourage you to stand with me at this time as we read from God's holy word. We do this out of reverence for uh, the Word of God, Psalm chapter 8, starting at verse 1. And we are told that this is a psalm of David, and it is written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have established strength because of your adversaries, to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. 
O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray together. Lord, along with the psalmist, we do proclaim that your name is majestic. It is majestic in our hearts. It is majestic in Ephesus Baptist Church. It's majestic in Winchester, in Kentucky, the United States. How majestic is your name, God, in all the earth. And Lord, I pray that you would allow us, as we open the Scripture here today, allow us to catch a glimpse of not only your glory, but also your grace towards us. Father, help us to understand these words. Apply them to our thinking and to our living, that we might be holy, God, for you are holy. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We have been, uh, in the last few weeks, looking at some psalms, uh, calling this our sermon series, The Hebrew Hymn Book, and understanding that the psalms are a, a book of praise, a, a book of psalms, uh, a book of songs and prayers to God. And We have seen, after the introduction in the first uh, two chapters, we, we see a string of psalms where the songwriters are seeking God's help in situations in life. For example, in Psalm 3, starts by saying, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased, many are rising up against me. Psalm 4, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? Psalm 5, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Psalm 6, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. Psalm 7, O Lord, my God, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me, or he will tear my soul like a lion, dragging me away while there is none to deliver. And then we come to Psalm 8, and he have these words, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's as if in the collection of the Psalms we see a, a plea to God for help, a plea to God for mercy and deliverance. And then we come to Psalm 8 and we see the psalmist acknowledges that God has heard and God has answered my prayers. And therefore, I'm going to rejoice in God and rejoice in His mercy towards me. Perhaps in your Bible you'll see at the beginning of Psalm 8 we have a superscription there that says for the choir director. So this was a song that was written and, and intended to be sung in a corporate setting in a, in a body of believers as they have gathered for worship. It says for the choir director on the Giddeth. Now there is some question about what that means. Some translate that to be a musical instrument. Some say maybe it is a tune from the city of Gath or some even say it is from the wine press. Perhaps at a time where God has, has delivered a bountiful harvest and God's people are, are reaping that harvest and, and pressing the, the grapes and the wine and rejoicing to God for His provision. Now, it certainly fits the context, doesn't it? This is the first of, of the joyful psalms that we find in the book. And so, what is it that makes the songwriter so joyful about God? What is it about God that makes him so great well verses 1 through 3 we see that our God is powerful 
Our God is great because He is powerful. Now, contrary to the atheistic view that some have adopted, there is a God, and this God is all-powerful. We see in verse 1 that He is the monarch. The monarch. It says, O Lord, our Lord. You'll notice there that Lord is written in most translations in two different ways. The first time it's in all caps, meaning the covenant name of God. We'll talk about that later. But the second Lord there is capital L and in lowercase, O-R-D. The second word there is translated Adonai. It means king. It means ruler, the one who is in control. He is Lord. He is supreme ruler of all. And if God is Lord of all, then all are called to submit. He is the monarch. But secondly, He is majestic. Verse 1 goes on to say, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic. It's as if the psalmist is overwhelmed as he's thinking about God's greatness. How majestic, how glorious, how magnificent. It's at the same, one and the same time that God is both impressive and He's intimidating. We think about the greatness and the grandeur of God, how majestic, how, how impressive you are and how intimidating it is to look upon you and to think about your greatness. He is the monarch and He is majestic and He is magnificent. He is praised from the highest places of creation all the way down to the most humble of peoples. Verse Verse 1, he says, You have displayed your splendor above the heavens. You have displayed it. You have put it out there for everyone to see that all can take notice of your splendor, your greatness. It is above the heavens. It is like nothing else here on earth. Nothing that we have here on earth can compare to the the grandeur and, and the splendor of God above the highest of the heavens. But from the highest point down to the lowest in verse 2 it says from the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have established strength even, even to those who we would consider to be the weakest those who we consider to be the most dependent those who are the most vulnerable he says you have established you have ordained some translations praise some translations strength that God has given strength to those who are the weakest, those who are the most humble, that through that divinely given strength, through that divinely given grace, through that strength, he says that they might overcome, in verse 2, your adversaries, God, to make the enemy and the revengeful cease, that God chooses the weakest among us and gives them power and strength through the power of their praise to overcome his enemies and his adversaries. He is a magnificent God above the highest of heavens and down to the lowest of the most humble. He is magnificent. And he is the maker. He is the maker. Verse 3 he says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, he says, when I, when I consider this, when I stop and I think and I ponder... And I gaze. Now remember, this was perhaps a psalm of David. Maybe this was something that David wrote as he was a shepherd out in the field, laying on his back, looking up at the starry sky, seeing the hosts of heaven on display before him, and thinking, now, 
when I stop and I consider this, when I look at your heavens, not just, not just the heavens, but God, your heavens, the work of your fingers, now not God's literal fingers, this is again poetry, the book of Psalms, so God is like you, you took it and you crafted it and you made it's yours, you made it. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, that God, you have placed them exactly where you want them to be. If the planet earth was, was just a fraction of a bit closer to the sun, there'd be no life. The earth would be destroyed, we'd be burnt up. If the earth was just a fraction away further from the sun, we would freeze to death. That God has ordained everything to be exactly where it is. And the moon as it orbits the earth and, and produces the tides of the sea and it only goes so far and then goes back. God has ordained these things. And when the sun rises and sets, no matter what goes on in the chaos of our lives, the sun rises. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar there'll be sun. God has ordained this to be so. He has made it and He has set it into motion and He governs these things. And the psalmist says, when I stop and I consider these things, pondering the visible evidence and the complexity of creation, it calls for a designer. A designer. This week we've been doing some work here in the church, been, been uh, remodeling the office, my office, and and Nancy had been working in the art closet and, and, and cleaning out some of that stuff. And so we took out a whole lot of trash and put it over there by the trash cans. And lo and behold, a big strong wind came through this week and picked up that garbage and, and twisted it and moved it around and, and put it together and dropped it down. And you know what? Lo and behold, an iPad was created. Now, it, didn't, it wasn't created with, with battery. The battery's dead. But uh, yeah. That garbage was just randomly just shoved together and suddenly this iPad was created. You don't believe me? No. Why? You say, nothing this complex can be created randomly by just a bunch of happenstance and chance. Nothing this complex can just randomly come together and exist. Nothing this complex can just randomly just be shoved together and exist. The complexity of creation argues for a designer. This stuff just works too spectacularly to think it's all just a bunch of random chance. Our God is powerful. He is powerful. But the psalmist doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, Our God is personal. He is great because He is powerful, but against the backdrop of His power, we see that He is also personal. Contrary to a deistic view, God cares for His creation, for humanity. Deism says there is a higher power, there is a deity somewhere, because it only makes sense to say there's not a designer. It just seems silly. So I believe there's a God up there somewhere who made everything, but He doesn't really care. He's kind of hands-off about his creation the psalmist says oh no 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 he says in verse 3 when I consider your heavens 
the work of your fingers, the sun, the stars, which you have ordained. What is man? What is man that you actually take thought of him? That you care for him? And so our God is personal. He has compassion for man. He has compassion for you. He notices you. He says, what is it about, this, what is it about mankind, God, that, that you take thought of and, and that you would actually care for us? You would think we look like just a, a, a speck, and an insignificant drop compared to the grandeur of the universe. But for whatever reason, God, you care for us. We are small compared to the heavens. Yet He knows you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your joys. He knows your sorrows. He knows your struggles. He knows your fears. He knows your doubts. That's why the book of Psalms resonates so powerfully. Because it's people saying, God, this is, this is what I feel. And God says, yeah, I know that. I know that. I don't want you to try to disguise that. Be real with me. Be real with me and open up to me and find out exactly how real I am. He cares for us. He knows your suffering. He knows your sorrows. He has compassion for you. We also see the condescension to man. Our God is personal in that He, he condescends. He lowers Himself to come to us on our level. He's familiar with our, our problem, our, our sin problem, and He has taken the steps, the necessary steps, to fix that problem. He Himself is doing for us and has done for us what we could not do in restoring this relationship with Him. Verse 5, He says, Yet you have made him, mankind, a little lower than God. Some translations have this, angels or angelic beings. And the Hebrew words Elohim, it can be translated as God or it can be translated as angels. It's in the plural, which is also kind of a tip of the hat towards the doctrine of the Trinity. But whatever we want to call it, whether it be a little lower than God or a little lower than the angels, the idea is that, that we draw our image not from the animals. He didn't say, you, you made mankind just a little bit higher than the animals. No, you made mankind just a step below the beings in heaven. The value of human life is that we are in comparison to God. You have made mankind a little bit lower on the ladder. Yes, we are above the animals and the other creation, but we draw our value from God. God, you have made us, and not we ourselves. God, you have made mankind a little lower than the angels. Now, this is referring to mankind in general, but we can't help but read this through the lens of the New Testament and think about Jesus Christ through His incarnation, that even though He existed as God, did not consider that something to be grasped or held onto, but He emptied Himself and came in the likeness of man. We think about Jesus lowering Himself, God lowering Himself and coming to us, making Himself a little bit lower than the angels. Indeed, we read this in the book of Hebrews, for He did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which we are speaking but one is testified somewhere saying, What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you are concerned about him? 
You have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor, appointed him over the works of your hands. You put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is to be subjected, not subjected to him. But now we do not see all things subjected to him, but we do see him, Jesus, who has been made for a little while lower than the angels because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Now God's condescension that Christ came as a man to live a life of obedience that we could not live, to die a substitutionary death on the cross that we deserved, that Christ succeeded where Adam failed, and Jesus even said the same thing, applying these words to himself as he came in in the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and, and the children cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and the Pharisees didn't like that. And they said, don't you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus quotes this scripture from the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained praise. Jesus saying, Psalm 8, it's about me. It's about me. And God lowering himself to our level to save us. His condescension to man. That's the good news, folks. God did for you what you could not do for yourself. Solving your sin problem, if you would just give that over to him and surrender. His condescension to man. We also see our creation. And he has given creation under man. He has placed creation under us. Humanity, we have seen, is God's representatives here on earth. Verse 5 goes on to say, And you crown him with glory and majesty. That's human dignity. Human dignity. Mankind, each and every person who is made, is made in the image of God. And he has crowned us with glory and majesty. These are the same words that are referring to God earlier in the psalm that God gives a little bit of what He is and puts it on us. And He has crowned every human being, every man, woman, boy, and girl, red, yellow, black, or white, they are precious in His sight. Every human being, from the point of conception to the point of death, is crowned with dignity from God Himself. In the image of God, He made them male and female, he created them. And you crown him, God. You crown mankind with glory and dignity, human dignity. But also we see human authority, verses 6 through 8. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. God made this, not us. God made creation, and then he placed it underneath mankind and gives us authority. You have put all things under his feet. That's the idea of a conquering king placing his foot upon the neck of the conquered king. He says, you put everything underneath the feet of mankind. And we read this. He says, all sheep, oxen, beasts of the field, birds of the heaven, fish of the sea, whatever passes through it. And we say, you know what? It, it doesn't seem that way now. In an ideal world, in paradise, it was so. But we messed it up and sin has turned all this stuff upside down. How can we say we have authority over creation? We are called to 
managed. We are called to be stewards of all that God has made. We went to the Newport Aquarium yesterday. Me and the family went and I was in awe of God's creation of all the different animals there, the fish and the turtles and the penguins and everything that God made. And I thought of this psalm that everything in the, in the paths of the sea. And, and we, we hear a lot of times about mankind messing things up and, and animals going extinct. We also hear about conservation efforts. People working hard to try to, to, to preserve and save wildlife. And that's part of what it means to be a steward. God made this stuff. We can't mess it up. We can't junk it up and trash it. We're supposed to take care of it. That's the authority that he has given to us. But what we have done as human beings, we, we have taken that and turned it on its head and we say, you know what? We need to save the whales. And we need to keep funding Planned Parenthood that aborts and, and murders innocent children. Save the whales. Kill the kids. It makes no sense. But why would we think anything less out of depraved, wicked human hearts? We've all got that. And we need to be reoriented. And the only thing that will do that is the grace of God through Jesus Christ. He says, you put everything under his feet and we wonder, is there ever going to be a, part, a point in time where that becomes real again? And then we think about the condescension of Christ. We think about the victory that Jesus had dying on the cross, rising three days later, promising to come again and establish his kingdom here on earth. Then all things will be corrected. The first Adam messed it up. The last Adam has come to correct it and to fix it. And he will place everything under his feet. Hebrews says it hasn't happened yet, but it's as good as done. His resurrection proves this point. Human dignity in the image of God, human authority given by God for us to take care of his creation, and even though he messed it up, he himself has come to fix that. We read in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 about God creating everything in its glory and giving it to mankind. We read in chapter 3 about mankind messing it up. But at the end of chapter 3 comes a promise from God that I will raise up one. I will raise up the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. And that promised seed is Jesus Christ. So we read about the glory of God and the dignity of mankind that applies to the human race in general. But personally, the idea of knowing that God is personal means He cares for you. It means no matter what you're going through in life right now, what season you are in, whether it's a mountaintop or whether it's a valley or somewhere in between, whether it's a storm or whether it's a sunny day, whatever you're going through in life, God knows and God cares. If you are hurting this morning, if you are grieving, there is an Almighty God who made the universe and has lowered himself to come and rescue you because he loves you. God draws near in our struggles. He is a powerful God. He is a personal God. Finally, he is great because he is praiseworthy. Verse 9 repeats what verse 1 said. And we say, what, did he run out of stuff to say and just wrote down the same thing again? No, it's, it's repetition. It's a bracket. In poetry, we call that an inclusio. It starts and it works its way around and finishes where it began. But when it ends, there's more to it than when it started. 
So he began talking about God being powerful, but then God being personal makes God even more praiseworthy when we think about it, because God is the beginning and the end. His name is great. He's praiseworthy because he has a great name. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Talked about the all-caps Lord meaning the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh or Jehovah, however we want to translate that. It's the, it's the name that God gave to Moses. Moses said, what's your name? And he said, I am. I am. I exist. I am. I always have been, always will be. I am. His name is great. It's the, it's the name of a covenant-keeping God, a, a promise-keeping God. It is the one true and living God. The psalmist wasn't talking about political correctness here. And say, uh, oh God, you're one, of the, you're one of the great gods. He says, no, I'm narrow-minded. There's only one God. And He is the God of Israel. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of Moses. And we can come forward and say, He's the God of David. He's the God of Peter and Isaac and, and, and Paul and Isaiah and James and Matthew. He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one God. Oh Lord, oh Lord, the covenant God of Israel. Oh Lord, the promise-keeping God. Oh Lord, our Lord. He didn't just say, you're, you're mine. He says, He's our Lord. Again, this was meant to be sung in a corporate setting. This is God's people coming together and in one heart and in one mind and in one voice vocalizing this to God. You are our Lord. You are our Master. Because if, if He's mine and He's yours, then He's ours. We need to get this idea of this Lone Ranger mentality out of, the, out of, out of our heads. If we belong to God, we belong to His covenant community. We belong to the church universal that is to be manifest in the local church, the local assembly. What we're doing here is just a picture of what this means. He's our Lord. He's our Lord. He is the other church's Lord. Church down the road, the church in the next county, across the globe, He is our Lord. But we come together as a as a as a sign, a symbol of that. God's people belong together as we belong with Him. His name is great. And finally, His fame is great. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. Every corner of creation, Your name is majestic. Every corner of, of creation belongs to You. You govern it. You ordain it all. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Every bit of it, God. The application for us there is this. His desire is for the nations. There's not one people group on earth that God does not want to be praised by. If there are people out there that have never heard the gospel, never heard the name of Jesus, they ought to break our hearts because there are people that are not worshiping God as he deserves. There are people dying and going to hell because they've never heard the good news. We need to think about the Great Commission. If he is our God, we, we have been given a Great Commission. It is our commission to get this good news about this powerful and this personal God. We are to take this news to the nations. 
People need to know this stuff. Heaven and hell are hanging in the balance. His fame is great. Everywhere people are worshiping something. Everywhere. Everybody worships something. If you don't believe there's a God, you worship yourself and your own ideals. Everybody worships something. Everybody should worship someone. And that is the God. O Lord, our Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Our nation went lotto crazy this week in the last few weeks, haven't they? Maybe some of you all got bit by the lotto bug, and that's between you and God. But, you know, everybody has this fun idea, and, and it's and really nothing wrong with this, just kind of sometimes fun to think about, you know, what would I do if I want all that money? You know, everybody has their ideas. Well, first I'd do this, or I think I'd do this. If I suddenly had all this money, but something else for us to consider is this. What name would your parents give you or have given you to reflect your characteristics? Think about that. Think about your dominant characteristics, you know. Would they have called you lazy? Would your name have been lazy? Would your name have been irresponsible? Would your name have been grouchy? Dopey, sneezy, or whatever? What would your name have been if it were to reflect your true personality and your characteristics? Here the psalmist says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. The name of God represents his character, represents his personality. He is true. He is powerful. He is authoritative. He's in control. He's caring, he's compassionate, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's slow to anger. Yet he's holy, and he's vengeful, and he's jealous, and he desires your worship. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. J.I. Packer, the aging theologian, once wrote, "We We are at the end of four centuries of God shrinking where people have been thinking about God and bringing, bringing this idea of God down and elevating the idea of man up. The only solution is to get back to a biblical view of God. How great is our God? Because He is powerful and He is personal and He is praiseworthy. As we think about this God that Psalm 8 paints a picture of, when you contemplate God's greatness, be in awe of His redeeming love for you. And it is God's grace that magnifies His glory. If God is, is glorious and God is great, it is His grace towards us in Christ Jesus that magnifies His glory even brighter. How great indeed is our God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the words of the Psalms. We thank you, God, that you inspired David to write these words that paint a true picture of you, that, that, that reorients our view of who you are. We look at creation, we look at the heavens, and, and we are just blown away. We are in awe that this stuff is there, and, and it's too intricate to be an accident. It just, it just doesn't make sense. But yet to think that there is a God who made all this stuff, who, is, who has taken the steps to come to us because He loves us, to rescue us, 
from the destruction that we are bringing on ourselves. We have a God who is great and His greatness is is amplified by His grace towards us. His compassion. Lord, we, we praise You for who You are and what You've done for us. Lord, our prayer this morning is that we would humble ourselves. If you are Lord, if you are Adonai, if you are are the reigning monarch of all things, then we submit to you. We surrender our lives to you. We perhaps have drifted and wandered away from you for a long time now. But now, through your word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are speaking and you are drawing. And now is the time to come home. Now is the opportunity you have provided for each and every one of us. Lord, we do some soul searching this morning. We do some spiritual inventory. Where am I at with you, God? We confess our sins. We repent. We humble ourselves. We ask for your forgiveness. We receive it because the blood of Christ cleanses us from all our sins. And your Holy Spirit empowers us and fills us to praise you and to worship you and to serve you. Maybe somebody here has never entered into that relationship with you, God, by faith. I pray today would be the day that they would trust Jesus is everything. Jesus is enough. Maybe somebody has made that decision, but their life is not reflecting that. Now is the time for them to get back to where you want them to be. Whatever decisions need to be made today, God, give us, give us the wisdom to recognize and the boldness to surrender to you and find the change we desperately need. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like for you to stand as we sing this song of decision. Lord, I'm coming home. God's calling for you. He's calling for you. He is the powerful God and the personal God. He's praiseworthy. Are you praising Him with your lips? Are you praising Him with your heart and with your lifestyle? If the altar's open for prayer, I'm here for prayer if you need that as well. Whatever decision God's calling you to do, would you come today as we sing?